0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's an honor for me to share with you this morning. I came across a story about a bricklayer. This story is a metaphor about life. I'm just going to read this. A bricklayer who had completed his work on a beautiful building wanted to move some leftover bricks weighing about 500 pounds from the top of a four-story building to the sidewalk below. This story in his own words, is taken from his insurance claim form. (laughs) It would have taken too long to carry the bricks down by hand, so I decided to put them in a barrel and lower them by a pulley, which I fastened to the top of the building. After tying the rope securely at ground level, I then went up to the top of the building, fastened the rope around the barrel, loaded it with bricks, and swung it over the sidewalk for the descent. Then I went down to the sidewalk to untie the rope. I held the rope securely to lower the barrel down slowly. But since I only weighed 170 pounds, the 500-pound load jerked me from the ground so fast, I didn't have time to think about letting go of the rope. As I passed between the second and third floors... I met the barrel coming down. This accounts for the bruises and lacerations on my upper body. I held tightly to the rope until it reached the top where my hands jammed into the pulley. This accounts for my broken thumb. At the same time, however, the barrel hit the sidewalk below with a loud crash and the bottom of the barrel fell out. Let me tell the story. With the weight of the bricks gone, now the barrel only weighed about 40 pounds. Thus, my 170-pound body began a swift descent. I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for my broken ankle. Slowed only slightly, I continued the descent and landed on the pile of bricks on the sidewalk below. This accounts for my sprained back and my broken collarbone. At that point... I lost my presence of mind completely, and I let go of the rope. And the empty barrel came crashing down on me. This accounts for my head injuries. The last question on the insurance form said this, what would you do if this same situation happened again? How many of you can identify with this story? I certainly can. Life Often seems that we are that bricklayer. It can be very difficult, and when things happen, they don't—they they don't see happen individually, and then a few months in between, they seem to happen one right after the other. For a variety of reasons, this year has been a real tough year for our family. It seems like there's always something going on—some crisis, some problem, some tragedy. Whether it's your marriage or the kids or a problem at work or your body falling apart. Or financial issues or a death in the family, sometimes there just doesn't seem to be a let-up. It just seems like it's one unending problem after another. And it's rarely just one of these things. It's usually two or three of these things happening at the same time. Sometimes you find yourself just kind of shaking your head in a daze and mumbling to yourself, what's going on? I mean, when is this going to end? Is my life going to be one unending tragedy or crisis after another? And then when, you, when you're beat down day after day, it doesn't take long to lose your perspective. It's easy to start developing a negative focus. And it's easy to become bitter and cynical and angry. And left unchecked, that disappointment can lead to discouragement, despair, or even a sense of hopelessness. And then here's the salt that the enemy pours into the wound. Aren't you supposed to be a victorious Christian? Aren't you supposed to be an overcomer more than a conqueror? What's wrong with you? So, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Does it mean that we have to organize and protect our lives so we have as few problems as possible? Does it mean that we ignore our troubles and pretend to be happy Christians? Does it mean that we have to do a better job of thinking more positively? Does it mean that we have to buckle down and try harder? What does it mean to live a victorious Christian life? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's begin with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just give this time to you. And we simply ask for you to have your way in our midst. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds and reveal to us whatever you want us to know this morning. Lord, let your will be done for our sake and for your glory In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, point number one, what it means to be an overcomer. What I'm about to share with you guys this morning is not new, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, do we need to be reminded about this over and over. At least I do. When Jesus came, he came not only to die for our sins so that we could be reconciled to the Father, but he came to defeat the enemy, he came to destroy death, and he came to bring redemption to this fallen world. One of the first prophetic words in the Bible is that Jesus would crush the serpent's head. And then in John 3, the apostle John says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. In Colossians 2.15, it says that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities of the enemy. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus rose from the dead, he became the ultimate victor. And that would be wonderful in and of itself, but the amazing truth is that Jesus included us in his victory. When King David returned with his armies after defeating his enemies, they shared the spoils of victory with everyone back home. Even though they didn't fight in the battles, they participated in the spoils of the victory as if they were there themselves on the battlefield. Jesus has made his victory, our victory. Because he overcame, we are overcomers. How do I know that? 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Have you been born of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Then you are an overcomer. It may not feel like it on any given day or maybe ever, but you are an overcomer. That is your identity and that is your destiny as a believer. You are an overcomer. Say I am an overcomer. I am an overcomer. One more time. I am an overcomer. It's not I want to be an overcomer. Or I hope that someday I'll get my act together and be an an overcomer. No. This is how God sees you right now, and this is how you need to see yourself. Now, here's the encouraging thing. You being an overcomer or a conqueror or a victor has nothing to do with you. Praise God that it has nothing to do with us. Gideon's clan was the weakest, and he was the least in his family. He was hiding from his enemies in a wine press when God found him and called him Mighty Warrior. You could see Gideon kind of looking around like. Gideon did not see himself as an overcomer, but the Lord sure did. So it's not about our strength. It's not about our cleverness. It's not about our optimism. It's not about my strong will or my tenacity or my personality. Or, my ability to manage my life, being an overcomer, is simply acknowledging what Jesus has already done. Well, Joel, this is all fine and dandy, but how does this relate to me in the real world where I slug it out every day? Subpoint number one your faith has to inform your soul. What makes His victory our victory in everyday life? is how we handle the truth. As we read earlier, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Your faith in who Jesus is and in what Jesus has done and who you are in him has to inform your soul. That means your mind, your will, and your emotions. In Psalm 42, verse 5, David said this, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? You can tell by those words that David was feeling discouraged and even depressed, but he answers his own question in the very same verse by allowing his faith to to speak to his soul. So So he says, soul, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him for the help of his presence. To make the victory of Christ a reality in everyday life means that we have to allow our faith to speak to our soul. Jesus put it this way in John 16, 33. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So Jesus is saying, look, you guys, I know life is tough, and in this world you're going to have all kinds of trouble, but be encouraged. You can have peace of mind knowing that I have overcome the world, and in me... You can overcome the world as well. You see, we know who wins this whole thing before it's all over. I love watching football games when I already know the outcome of the game. So, when there are trials in that game, an interception, maybe a a drop ball in the end zone, or a bad call from the official, I don't have to stress out. Why? Because I already know who wins, and that gives me peace. And as believers, We know how this all plays out because God in his mercy has told us how the story ends. And guess what? We win. Every single one of us, we win. Amen. (laughs) That is good news. Now, sure, you may have a bad day. You may have a bad week. You may have a bad year. You may even have a bad life. But compared to enjoying the spoils of victory with the Lord forever and ever... There's no comparison. Let's look at Paul's life, for example. If you read Paul's resume, you'll discover that he was flogged five times. Now, usually a flogging involves 39 lashes. I can't even imagine being lashed once, much less 39 times times five. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned to the point where they actually thought he was dead. I mean, the purpose of stoning was to kill somebody. They thought he was dead. They dragged him out of the city, ready to bury him. He was put into prison multiple times. He was shipwrecked. He was in danger of robbers, constantly being pursued by those who wanted to kill him. He endured sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, cold, and even nakedness. All this while carrying the weight of these fledgling churches all this while serving a god who allowed these things to happen and yet in his own words paul says this in romans 8 i consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us and then our theme scripture today says this in romans 835 who shall separate us from the love of christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution Or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now that phrase, more than conquerors, from the Greek, means a phenomenal, walloping, overwhelming conquering force. To be more than a conqueror means to vanquish beyond measure, to gain a decisive victory. Now, as soon as this image is put up on the screen, I want you to tell me all at the same time what it is. It's the Nike swoosh, right? Even the kids knew that. Did you guys know that the Greek word for overcome or conquer is Nike? It literally means to subdue or carry the victory. How many of you, raise your hand have ever had a piece of Nike apparel, tennis shoes, shirt, whatever. Almost all of you. That means you're all overcomers. (laughs) Paul let his faith inform his soul. He was the one who said, we walk by faith, not by sight. No matter what he was going through, no matter how he felt about what he was going through, he knew who Jesus was, he knew what Jesus did, He knew who he was in Jesus, and he knew what his ultimate destiny would be. It's not what we're going through that matters. It's what we think about what we're going through that matters. What's important is not the trials that we face, but how we respond to them. Chuck Swindoll, who is a pastor, teacher, and author, says that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. Tim Hansel, president of Ignite, said that pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. Our faith, based on the finished work of Christ, has to give us the perspective and the power to see past the trial, to embrace the redemptive purposes of God. That's what it means to be overcomers. Subpoint number two how we see ourselves is vital. Gideon did not see himself as an overcomer. And it took a lot of convincing for Gideon to see himself the way God did. But in the end, with only 300 men, Gideon faced a vast Midian army and finally saw himself the way God did and became an overcomer. Proverbs says this in Proverbs 23. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What prevents us from walking in the reality and freedom of being an overcomer is how we view ourselves in the trial. As we experience trials of many kinds, as James says, all of us have been real victims in life. But it's not the trial itself that's the problem, nor is it the fact that we've been victims or bad things have happened to us. Rather, it's how we view our victimization that really matters. If we embrace our own victimization to the extent that it becomes part of our identity, how we see ourselves, we disempower ourselves and begin to walk in bondage. Powerless people have the mistaken belief that the world around them is more powerful than who is inside of them. You are only as powerless as you, if you see yourself powerless. The truth is, in Christ, we are more powerful than the forces around us. How do I know that? 1 John 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Until we see ourselves the way God sees us, as overcomers empowered to do his will, we will be powerless, living in the self-imposed bondage of our own prison. Major point number two, what prevents us from being overcomers? As much as the enemy wants to keep us from being overcomers, there's a worse enemy. Do you know who it is? It's ourselves. It's us. It's me. By virtue of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we are already overcomers, as we've said. It's our identity. It's our destiny as believers. It is who we are. However, when we face the difficult things in this life, if we don't bring our thoughts in line with the truth... And live out of that reality, we can live defeated lives as victims. Subpoint number one characteristics of a victim. Even though this isn't fun to talk about, you guys, this is really important to understand these characteristics because it is very possible to embrace the identity of a victim without even knowing it. It has been extremely helpful to me in my walk with God. Because the moment I see myself embracing the identity of a victim, and it can happen really easy, by the grace of God, I can identify what's happening, and I can steer out of it, and instead embrace my true identity as an overcomer. So, there are several characteristics that define the identity of a victim, and I trust that you'll find these helpful, as I have, so you can guard against them. The first is this. A victim is one who has his primary identity in his pain. In his pain. A victim rehearses over and over the hurtful things that were done to him. The offense constantly occupies your thoughts and prevents you from moving forward with your life. Pain often becomes the filter through which life is processed. Such a person can easily be offended. A second characteristic of a victim is the desperate need to find someone or something to blame. Instead of facing what's going on inside of us that's causing us to feel this way, it's much easier to find someone else or something else who must be at fault. When one embraces the identity of a victim by blaming someone else, he has ultimately abdicated personal responsibility for his life. He's allowed his emotional state of mind and how he's feeling right now to be determined by what someone else has done or not done. In other words, he's in this state or condition because of some external force who is to blame. This brings us to a third characteristic, which is a feeling of powerlessness. One becomes powerless by making someone else responsible for his life. When you see yourself as a victim, you disempower yourself because you take away any power that you had over your life, and you empower someone else. Because of the mindset that someone else or something else is responsible for what I'm feeling right now, I have no path towards resolution. The person or the situation that hurt me has to change in order for me to change. In other words, until that person acknowledges they're wrong, apologizes or makes it right somehow, there's nothing I can do but be miserable. No one should be allowed to that, have that kind of control or power over your life. A fifth or fourth characteristic of a victim is this sense of entitlement. There is a high expectation that, that certain outcomes or certain needs have to be met in a certain way. And when that expectation isn't met, the disappointment is taken as a personal offense. This isn't fair. This isn't right. This shouldn't have happened to me. I don't deserve this. I have a right to be treated in a certain way. My rights have been violated. Someone has to make this right. The mindset of entitlement is always a setup for offense. The world's supposed to understand how I should be treated and, in fact, treat me in that way. Of course, this is a very myopic and unrealistic view of life. And when I am tempted to be in this state of mind, you know what God's loving and compassionate advice to me is? Get over yourself. (laughs) God can speak to me very tenderly, but he can also be very direct with me. And when I'm feeling this way, he just says, get over yourself. You see, Jesus told us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. He said that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. Christians aren't exempt from the problems of everyday life. People are always going to do what people do. Isn't that profound? I'm not going to be able to change the human race so they can stop offending me. (laughs) What I have to realize is that if I want things to change, I'm going to have to, one, to do the changing. A fifth characteristic of a victim is a lack of proper focus. A victim is often problem-focused instead of solution-focused. <clears throat> the problem is so overwhelming, the victim has a tendency to obsess about the negativ- negativity of the situation rather than what can be done about it. This sucks. This isn't fair. I'm miserable. So much emotional energy is spent on things that we have very little control of. As an overcomer, on the other hand... We are solution-focused instead of problem-focused. Okay, it is what it is. What am I and God going to do about it? You don't mope around and wait for things to magically change. You partner with God. You look for a way to take action and and exert influence that will move things in a better direction. And then the last characteristic of a victim is one who has self-pity. Self-pity is one of the most useless of all human emotions. Nothing good comes from it. The pain the victim feels causes him to feel alone and isolated. The feeling is that I'm the only person in the world that this has happened to. No one understands. No one cares. No one knows what I'm going through. No one knows how miserable I am. Now, if some, someone comes to you in this state, it's important to hear them out, it's important to <clears throat> express empathy and compassion for what they're going through. <clears throat> Excuse me, And in this way, we can bear each other's burdens. But you will be doing them a disservice if you play into their self-pity and enable their sense of powerlessness. At some point, you have to help them turn this around by saying, okay, it is what it is, but what are you and God going to do about it now? When that pivot happens... That's when you begin to embark on the path of becoming an overcomer. Yeah. Subpoint number two For the overcomer, the concept of ownership is vital. When we em- embrace a place of negativity in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our feelings because of what someone or something else has done, it's the same thing as disowning ourselves. <clears throat> it is so important to learn how to own our thoughts, our attitudes, our feelings, and our reactions. No one makes us do anything. For example, no one makes you angry. Now, you may choose to get angry based on how you're processing the offense, but no one makes you angry. We are in control of ourselves. No one makes you crabby or irritable or mean unless you let them. No one has the power to influence us in those ways unless we give them permission. If we want to walk in the freedom of empowerment that is ours in Christ, we have to make a choice to completely be responsible for ourselves no matter what happens to us. The idea of ownership is vital in order for us to become overcomers. Subpoint number three the courage to redirect your focus. In the short term, it's a lot easier to blame someone or something else for my troubles than to take responsibility for them myself. Looking for someone or something else to blame, as we've already said, is fruitless and disempowering. On the other hand, it takes a lot of courage to look inside, to look inside at things that may may need to change or be healed. Trials do what trials do. They reveal what's going on inside of us. Thank you. It's not fun to look inside. There may be unforgiveness. There may be past wounds that need to be healed. There may be insecurity. There may be low self-esteem or fear. There's a reason why I react the way I do. And this negative situation is often something that God uses uses in my life to reveal something that he wants to heal or to change. And the sooner I face this reality, and the sooner I let God do his good work in me, the sooner I will get past this situation. So you guys, when we're tempted, we're tempted to feel offended, instead of immediately becoming angry and acting out of the pain of our offense, one of the best things that you can do is invite God into the picture And ask yourself some really important questions like, God, why does this hurt so much? What is it about me and the way I am that makes me feel this way? And you know what? If you wait on God, he will be faithful to reveal some personal insights about what's going on. And you'll be surprised to find out that it has more to do with what's going inside of you than it does the person who hurt you. Subpoint number four, as overcomers, we always have choices. One of the greatest gifts God has given us is the will to choose. A victim is one who believes the lie that he has no choice, and as a result, his faith has been rendered powerless. God, on the other hand, who sees us as overcomers, And so the sooner we see ourselves as overcomers, the sooner that we'll be empowered to do something about our situation. As overcomers, we are never helpless and we are never hopeless because we are never without help or hope. The Holy Spirit is our help and God is our hope. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 has become one of my favorite verses. It says this, My translation is a little bit different. I'm going to read it from mine. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now that is the life verse of an overcomer. It basically says that God's grace is deeper than any need we will ever have. God's grace is the desire and the power to do his will. By the grace that God supplies, we always have a choice to do the next right thing. So instead of reacting as victims, we can respond as overcomers with the wisdom that God supplies to take responsibility for our lives and exert positive influence. A powerful person can manage himself no matter what others do. We can't change other people or the situation. But we always have a choice to do the next right thing, to rise up in faith and to walk in the victory that Christ purchased for us by his blood. Okay, we're, we're running in for the landing. Point, major point number three, the rewards of an overcomer. Have you ever experienced uh, the, the, uh, the uh, phenomena of being more excited to give a gift than you have to receive a gift, as exciting as it is to receive a gift. Sometimes it's actually more exciting when you've got the perfect gift uh, to give a gift. This happened uh, this past Christmas. My wife, Connie, had the perfect gift for one of our daughters, and she could hardly contain herself in anticipation of giving that gift. She was so excited that I thought she was going to spill the beans before she was going to give the gift. And in a sense, that's how I think that God feels about some of the gifts or rewards that he wants to give us who overcome. In his seven letters to each of the churches in Revelation, God promises these amazing rewards for those who remain faithful to him until the end. And God is so excited about it that he can't keep it a secret. In fact, he spills the beans and actually tells us what those rewards are going to be. Listen to this list of rewards. To the first church, he says this, I will give to him who overcomes the right to eat from the tree of life. As overcomers, we get to eat from a tree that will allow us to live with God forever. How's that for starters? To the second church, he says, He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. In other words, this is the promise that we will not be judged for our sins. To the third church, he said, To him who overcomes, I will give some hidden manna. Now, I'm not sure what that hidden manna is, but when Jesus spoke of manna, he referred to himself as the living bread that comes down from heaven. One of my favorite foods is fresh-baked bread. I can't wait to taste the living bread from heaven. And to this same church, he promised to give a white stone to each of us with our new name on it. Now, you probably haven't thought about this very much, but it's a white stone that has your name on it that only you know. Now, when we were born, our parents gave us our names that we were stuck with. Like it or not, those names are what we've been called since birth. But when we receive this white stone from God, it's going to have our name on it. And I think that when we see it, there's something that's going to resonate deep inside of us like, Yes! Yes! that's who I really am. It's like that feeling that you have when somebody knows you so well and they understand you so well that they give you this perfect gift that really reflects their understanding of who you are. And I think when we receive this stone, it's going to be such a good feeling. It's going to be this ultimate form of affirmation that conveys God's intimate knowledge of us. To the fourth church... He says to him who overcomes I will give the authority to rule over nations. Now I can't imagine what that will look like, but to be able to partner with God in his future future plans for the nations is an unbelievable privilege. To the fifth church he says, the one who overcomes will be dressed in white. This the white is a symbol of purity and worthiness. To those dressed in white, Jesus said he would honor by acknowledging us before the Father and his angels. Jesus himself is going to honor each one of you before the heavenly Father and each of his angels. What an ultimate honor. What an unbelievable privilege. To the sixth church, he says, To him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of God. Now, that may now sound like a mot from the start, but listen to this. This promise was given to the church in Philadelphia, which today is modern-day Turkey, in a region which is troubled by earthquakes. The pillars that were built there were built to support buildings that were strong and immovable. This speaks to the important role that we will have in God's future purposes. And to this same church, Jesus said that he's going to give us the ultimate tattoo. That's right, I said tattoo. We will receive a mark somewhere on our body that will have God's name on it, the name of God's city, and the new name for Jesus. Isn't this amazing? This is in your Bible, too, as well as mine. Now, there's a lot of young people here who have tattoos that they think are pretty cool, and I think they're pretty cool, too. But guess what? You're going to get an even cooler tattoo. And for you older folks like me who would never consider getting a tattoo, we'll get used to the idea because God himself is going to give you one. (laughs) And to the seventh church, Jesus said this, To he who overcomes, I will give the right to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. What will it be like to actually sit down on the throne of Jesus? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. For my last point, I want to close with a real life story of an overcomer. This is someone from City Church whom I have had the honor of getting to know, and I'm simply going to read her story. I got off to a rough start by being born two months premature. I weighed three pounds and was in an incubator and kept in isolation for many months. Because of my underdeveloped lungs and my poor immune system, I was labeled as failure to thrive. In other words, they didn't expect me to live. I was born into an extremely dysfunctional family with very twisted views of God. From my earliest childhood memories, I experienced every kind of abuse imaginable. I was sexually, emotionally, and physically abused during my entire childhood. I was tortured, had bones broken, was locked up in seclusion and often deprived of food. I had very few friends because the secret nature of the group my parents belonged to. I had multiple pregnancies as a teen, but never got to keep my children. I was forced to observe and participate in animal and human sacrifices. Due to the widespread participation and involvement of people in all sections of life, doctors, policemen, teachers, I felt trapped and unsafe. There was nobody I could turn to for help. Because of the extreme abuse, I ate food for comfort, resulting in my reaching a weight of 500 pounds. Thankfully, God is helping me to deal with that issue. Over the years, I frequently experienced severe depression and felt suicidal. At one point, I decided to take my life. I fasted for three days, then I swallowed 120 sleeping pills, drank a bottle of vodka, and laid down to die. A former roommate happened to stop by and called 911. I was in a coma for six weeks. Because of all that I've been through, the list of things that are wrong with my body is too long to list. I've had 12 surgeries over my lifetime. I've had cancer four times. The chemo treatments have left me sterile. There are many times when I should have died. But God, in his mercy, didn't forget me. In high school, some of my closest friends were Christians. Amazingly, one of my father's siblings was able to escape what she grew up in and somehow became a Christian. After my my birth, God put me on her heart, and I know that she prayed for me every single day. Through her prayers and the prayers of my school friends, I came to know the Lord through a Billy Graham crusade on television. My aunt subsequently prayed for me to attend a Bible camp for one week, two summers in a row. During those camp experiences, I learned a great deal about God's love, but I had a hard time reconciling what I learned with the life that I was trapped in. I wish I could say that when I became a Christian, everything became so much better for me, but that would not be the case. Trauma and painful life experiences don't automatically disappear. Depression was still a struggle. Health issues don't always get restored by miraculous healing. Emotional pain doesn't necessarily respond to medication, and grief still takes your breath away. And even though I often feel like I cannot take a breath or put one foot in front of the other... I know in the very depths of my being that God has not abandoned me. I may not always feel him, but I know in my heart of hearts that he is there. God promises me that he will never leave or forsake me. He forgives me every time I'm angry with him. I know he delights in me when I praise him in spite of how I'm feeling. And I know he loves me just as I am even when I can't love myself. He is teaching me about who I am in him. I have started to sign my letters, his joy child. Not because I always feel joy, even though now and again I do, but because God is good, and someday, when I walk the streets of gold, I know I will feel joy all the time. Oh, how I long for that day. Down here on earth, I get to practice exchanging ashes for beauty, sadness for praise, When I do not feel joy and everyone around me goes on with life as usual, I feel like I'm drowning. That's when God reaches down and wraps his arms around me and holds my head above water. He promises not to let me drown. Who else but God Almighty, who literally walked on water, can keep me from drowning? So when I feel like I'm going under, I cling to him. Every single day of my life, I get a new opportunity to acknowledge that God will never let me go. He does not owe me an explanation for why life has been this way and why I have experienced the things that I have. Every single day of my life, I get to choose to believe that God is good, and I have the privilege of choosing to believe the truth. No matter how it looks on the outside to everyone else, and no matter how I feel, I know two things. I know the God of this universe promises never to let me go, is good, and regardless of the enemy's attempts to kill, to steal, and destroy me, I belong to Jesus. I am his joy child. There's another overcomer that I want to honor this morning. And that That overcomer is my wife. For 20 years, she has quietly suffered with a horrible disease that has radically changed her life. We believe in healing, and we're still holding out for healing, but for whatever reason, she has not been healed. But she's not bitter, she's not angry, she hasn't given up, nor will she ever. She loves God, and she knows He is good. I am so proud to be married to an overcomer. The worship team can come up. I want to conclude with this, you guys. I've been a pastor now for 17 years. And over these years, I've had the privilege of working with hundreds of overcomers. I am so proud of the people who have suffered through difficult things in life, And yet, in the midst of their pain, they have risen up, said yes to the mysterious work of God in their lives, and they have embraced their identity as overcomers. Here's the bottom line and the things that I want you to remember. As with everything else about our salvation, Jesus has done all the work. He's done the heavy lifting. When we embrace our salvation that he offers us, we embrace the identity of an overcomer. That's who he is. And that's who we are in Him. We don't have to try to be overcomers. We already are overcomers. Now, does this mean that you'll never get down and you'll never be discouraged or make mistakes? No. But you can learn from your mistakes and you can get back up. I love what Proverbs 24, 16 says. It says, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. That's the spirit of an overcomer. To walk in that identity... All you have to do is align yourself with the truth day after day after day until Jesus comes back or you go to be with him. The scripture calls this standing. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, It is by faith that you stand firm. You choose over and over and over to stand with the truth. No matter what your circumstances look like, no matter what you feel about what you're going through, no matter what the enemy is whispering in your ear, you choose by faith to stand on the truth. That's what it means to be an overcomer. I'm going to close with Paul's words in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I'm so grateful that you are a God who truly, truly understands us if you can give us a stone with our real name on it that will resonate with us for all eternity, you understand everything about us. Every hair on our head is numbered. You know how difficult life can be. Lord, we're so thankful that when you died on the cross, you not only died for our sins to reconcile us to God, but you defeated the enemy and you made a way for us To walk in your redemptive purposes. Lord, thank you for rising from the dead and triumphing over sin and death and the enemy. Thank you for including us in your victory. Because you overcame, we can overcome. Lord, help us to see ourselves the way you do as overcomers. Forgive us, Lord, for when we have embraced the identity of a victim. Help us to exercise our faith and always align ourselves with the truth no matter what we're going through. Help us, Lord, to bring glory to you in this fallen world by walking in our identity of being more than conquerors. Thank you, Lord, for your good and faithful work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We're going to have prayer teams up here, so I would encourage you, if you've been struggling in an area, you have been exactly embracing your identity as an overcomer and you want that to be the case from now on, please come up and get some prayer. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great day.